and welcome back to another exciting episode of Grimdark Tales Podcast Edition. Uh, today I am joined by the wonderful Andy from the UK. Hello. Uh, if you guys have been in the Discord, uh, you'll you'll have seen him there. Uh, he's, he's just a top-rate person. Uh, and it's really exciting to be able to talk to him finally. Um, I've decided that the episode today is going to be about uh, a, an army that we both share an interest in, which is the Death Watch faction of the Space Marines, uh, the Ordo Xenos uh, Chamber Militant of the uh, Adeptus Astartes. And um, they are a sort of conglomerate of, of many chapters, and uh, that's part of what makes them very interesting to us. But uh, I figured... It would be a fun topic for us to both discuss because we've both been sort of uh, goading each other down these rabbit holes of uh, <laughs> kit bashing and converting characters for these uh, for these armies of ours. Um, Andy, I know you started, I think, from maybe humbler beginnings with your Death Watch, and they've since grown into a a monster you weren't really prepared for. Yeah, <laughs> as with pretty much all of my armies to be honest yeah um yeah it really was meant to be just a small collection of uh, of marines to bolster my my inquisition force that i was creating um i, I had there some custom inquisitors that i'd created and and they were backed up by some zions as kind of uh, stormtroopers and I thought, oh, well, I, don't, I just want something extra to kind of make this a, a bit more of a, a, a rounded out and, and flavoursome force. And then very quickly went down the rabbit hole <laughs> and, uh, and started uh, discovering how much fun you could have with mixing up the squads and kitbashing different characters. And yeah, it, it very quickly spiralled. And uh, I'm now at the point where I, I've got way, way more than I anticipated at the start. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and uh, and I just seem to be collecting them. I I, I f had finished a Death Watch army. Basically, the way that the Death Watch started for me and uh, Jordan will probably remember this uh, very sourly because he's never let me forget um, that he started a Death Watch army uh, with. I think he had just like a couple uh, squads of veterans. This was in seventh edition when the Death Watch Codex had just come out, mm -hmm. their their first Codex, um, and he just created a couple uh, teams of veterans with uh, shotguns and Death Watch frag cannons, and um, it seemed like he we played like one game with them, and then Jordan kind of put them on the back burner, and then I somewhat insidiously decided to uh commandeer the army that he'd started <laughs> and i expanded upon those uh those couple of squads of veterans he had there and i built uh, a whole 2000 point army around them um and then eighth edition hit and the death watch remained one of my favorite armies despite the fact that i found myself almost never winning with them uh I had built them to be very non-competitive and it led to them getting crushed even in somewhat casual games. But 
Well, yeah, I, I have to admit, I, I'm, I've, I've had limited success with them so far. But that, that's mainly because the, the games that I have had, have, one, have been my first few games with the army themselves, but uh, also with kind of the, pretty much what I had painted and what yeah. I had ready to go. Uh, and now I, I've been tempted by the dark side of Forge World and have uh, added some very shiny toys to my uh, <laughs> my watch fortress uh, yeah. to give them, well, you know, as they should narratively, you know, they're the best of the best of all these exactly. different chapters. They should have the best toys. I so uh, people may shout cheese at me, but, you know, it's narrative. It's, yeah. just, it's very good narrative. <laughs> yeah, I know I know. it's it's some people's favourite thing to accuse you of uh, uh, sort of accumulating cheese there. But I, I to as far as I'm concerned, the Death Watch should, I mean, from a narrative perspective, should just be sort of better than your average uh, Space Marine armies because they do. They have access to, like, far more equipment. They have access to the special issue ammunition, which completely makes them, like, way more tactically flexible than regular Space Marines. Uh, each and every member of their teams is supposed to be the veteran of you know, dozens of battles, if not hundreds with uh, Xenos forces, they all have just consummate uh, experience, even compared to regular Astartes, which already are supposed to be, you know, top tier combatants. So I think that there's definitely a narrative justification for them being incredibly effective and having access to tools that you wouldn't see. I mean, when you look at the Grey Knights, you don't question the fact that an entire squad of Grey Knights has storm bolters and force weapons because that's the nature of Grey Knights and that they're all psychers because that's that's who they are. So the nature of Death Watch... It's that Grey Knights are rubbish, isn't it, really? <laughs> yeah, and, that's, and it's, a, it's such a shame that Grey Knights perform the way that they do on the table despite all that equipment just because it seems like Games Workshop hasn't quite figured out how to balance their points against what they're actually capable of doing um Definitely. and i do like that that now the death watcher are, are actually becoming a competitive force it was definitely not uh, any consideration for me when i started yeah um building this on because it's yeah you know, i'm a very narrative focused player I, I like to have fun fluffy games that tell a story rather than go and win tournaments or anything like that yeah but you know the fact that they do have that edge is, is perfect for the fact that you know you've got these elite um forces that are led by the best commanders in the imperium who have got hundreds of years and of experience and are just lethal um commanders who know how to direct their forces yep. so it does fit that, that actually they can they can yeah there is a space marine army that can win <laughs> yeah exactly and and if anyone was going to do it you would expect it would be you know the death watch and or the gray knights and unfortunately only one of those is really fully capable in a competitive sense of doing that but i think that they both deserve to be that for sure and um i think that what should set them apart as well is that um you know the in the in the narrative and in the in the stories the black library books and everything were shown so so frequently what even a single space marine is capable of in a fight um they're they're so ferocious they can take on seemingly you know countless opponents uh as long as the opponents are less equipped than them um they can just go and go and go and and get the job done and i think the death watch uh, even more so than Space Marines, who 
Space Marines are often sort of the the spearhead force that breaks the nose of the enemy for large assaults and stuff. I feel like the Death Watch, even more specifically, are almost always engaging enemies that are they've caught off balance or with their pants down because they're doing some sort of you Definitely. know infiltration strike or something where they're cutting off the head of the opponent who doesn't know that they're coming and even more in that sense it gives you the idea that the death watch are in a narrative capacity would almost never lose a fight because they seem like they're always more prepared for the fight than the opponent yeah and that's why i was mentioning about the fact that they're led they're they're the best led space marines exactly these fantastic commanders and um, I've, I've just I started reading the Death Watch Omnibus um, mm-hmm. Black Library, uh, and I'm not very far through it. Um, so even if I wanted to drop spoilers, <laughs> I, I wouldn't <laughs> be able to. But um, the, the first short story in there, the, the opening sequence is an infiltration of a single kill team onto a kind of uh, orc derelict spacecraft. Yep. Um, and, you know, they literally crash um uh, a, a, another spacecraft into the orc spacecraft and sneak out onto it um, yep. and it's just fantastically evocative of you know these a special forces uh operation in the 41st millennium yep you know, completely um different to you know for example a horus heresy novel where you've got these huge pitched battles between massive heavily armored forces yeah it, it very much kind of covert and sneaky and you know behind enemy lines feel to it which is is one of the reasons that i've kind of been swept up in in the army narrative really yeah yeah absolutely and i i think for me you know the draw initially was basically that they were the special forces of of the 41st millennium of the space marines which are already such an elite fighting force they were the special forces even of them which is like an incredibly you know compelling uh idea these these seven eight foot tall killing machines in in hundreds of pounds of ceramide armor that are conducting these you know incredibly intense behind the uh behind enemy lines operations and they just have every single piece of equipment they could possibly want and they're led by people who have been through an unbelievable amount of combat and um it's just so that's such a compelling image to me and then to combine that with their aesthetic with the the one silver arm the inquisitorial pauldron um Mm. And matched with, you know, their their right pauldron being from their initial chapter that they came from. I think um the it's just such a it's such a fascinating aesthetic that I feel like no other space marine you know, they're not a chapter, they're they're a conglomerate of of yeah. of, of all the chapters best uh alien killers essentially, which is uh that's such a cool idea to me as well, that there's like a tithe that goes out. Yeah. And- yeah. It's fantastic kind of narrative. This kind of this pledge that the the Space Marine chapters have to to basically give up their best fighters um, right. to for the greater good, not to use a towel phrase <laughs> when we're talking about Xenos hunters. Um, but yeah, it's just this fantastic respect for for uh, an institution that is is clearly recognised as being really important and and. Um, very efficient uh at, at dispatching the alien yeah 
Like the, the other side of the coin, you mentioned the inquisitorial emblem on the on the pauldron. Yep. Uh, one of the fantastic things about them is the kind of the, the duplicity of the of the the Inquisition. So yes, the Death Watch are the the Ordo Sinus militant, and they're out there killing aliens. But also the Inquisition use them um, for their own nefarious ends. So yeah. there's quite a lot of of stories about um, Death Watch kill teams being sent to kind of either capture an alien rather than kill it and bring it back. And in almost all of those, the the kill teams are going. Why are we doing this? <laughs> are we meant to kill it? Right. We've got to bring it back. It's <laughs> so, very strange to them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I, I kind of love that the fact that you know there's these faceless and nameless inquisitors who are kind of handlers of of various kill teams and various watch fortresses that kind of just kind of appear on the box and go. Actually, we want you to go and do this. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> just kind yeah. of. Yeah, that kind of dual nature of it is is fantastic set against the the kind of uh the conglomerate of different chapters and also yeah. the, the modeling opportunities for that are brilliant oh my god of course yeah i i definitely want to talk about that in a second because we've both done so much work on that um but i did want to talk about uh just quickly how much power um the implication is that the Inquisition has at its disposal because, you know, you think about an organization like the Death Watch, which if you read uh, The Beast Arises, and it may actually just be in the Codex, uh, I can't quite remember, um, but the The Beast Arises takes place in like the 32nd millennium, I think. So it's about a thousand years after the Horus Heresy, and that's when the death watcher sort of formed initially and it's sort of this ad hoc attempt to uh engage with the threat of the emergent sort of orc uh success rate in in a, a way that is outside the box of what they're used to because clearly whatever they were doing before wasn't working and um it became basically a requirement that the space marines sort of begin a more uh exotic approach to warfare which is why we got these kill teams that were organized from whoever they had at their disposal and it was uh out of necessity you saw a lot of um old grudges being set aside like you saw dark angels and space wolves fighting with each other um and that sort of camaraderie between otherwise you know combative chapters that have a lot of baked in animosity for each other uh, i think that speaks so much to a great power of of the death watch in itself and they they were you know they were combined with the inquisition as a sort of a an olive branch because the high lords of terror were not okay with a space marine becoming like the next high lord which was done basically as a caesar-like act of you know required violence that they needed a military leader to become the leader of the imperium in an in an instant and um as sort of an olive branch he allowed this new collection of space marines to be under the uh a military branch of the inquisition itself which was like a new 
institution at the time. Um, so it's really interesting how much has happened as a consequence of that. Um, something that was designed as, you know, a sign of, of friendship and uh, cooperation between the different branches of government uh, and between the military and the government became this sort of cold where cold war nefariousness uh that you see with the inquisition sort of doing whatever they want with them um it's just it's it's very compelling to me i mean like that to me that's what's so exciting about the whole grimdark aesthetic of warhammer is that nothing is just clean nothing is pure um yeah. and you know you see the death watch who were born out of such a genuine need for human survival and whose camaraderie shows that we can overcome even the oldest grudges uh when we set our minds to the same goal um and then you can see the abuse that even something like that can be put through uh in the wrong hands so i just and think that, that's super that's, cool. that, that is always where the best stories come out though is yeah that, uh, exactly. not just i mean i'm not i'm not saying the the um the abuse is entertaining, but it's the it's the reaction to that abuse. Yes, it's, it, it, in the stories, it's the kill teams going. Should we really be doing this? Exactly. <laughs> and then they pull together, um, even though they might be from chapters who you know have animosity, and they, they kind of decide for themselves what might be the the right approach and the, the what's the what is actually the way forward. Yeah, yep, absolutely, and I. To me, that's that's definitely what makes them so interesting. And it's this isn't I shouldn't say that in any way this takes away from my love of the actual legions and chapters of Space Marines because I love I've loved all the Space Marines like so much since I've first got into this hobby. I love Space Marines. They're obviously all here, isn't it? Let's face it. Yeah, you can trace it it all back to space marines even if people are orc players they deviated maybe at an early stage but it will <laughs> in that that you know that that first image on the front of rogue trader or on the, the on the front of whichever box set they picked up to get them into the hobby yeah um, exactly yeah um and they and they they don't you know they're they're the mascot of the game and i think that they're what got so many people into it the idea of the space marine is so iconic um, and I love I love the the culture of all the chapters. I I'm so fascinated with all of it. Um, the Death Watch don't make me. If anything, I think the what's so special about the Death Watch is that they make me appreciate each chapter and all their differences even more. Um, and I think that the camaraderie that they show, uh, sort of against all odds, because of this this uh greater purpose that the death watch serve uh is so inspiring to me just as like a human endeavor um in addition to just how cool it ends up being from a storytelling perspective as well <laughs> yeah yeah i mean let's face facts i mean they are cool <laughs> yeah they're so cool you know they have all the toys they have jet black armor they have the best flyer in the imperium <laughs> in terms of how it looks aesthetically um you can pretty much do whatever you want in terms of modeling a squad. Yeah, you really <laughs> you can. Like bikers, Terminators, Jetpack, Primaris, or traditional Marines. You can pretty much do what you want. <laughs> yep, absolutely. It is so cool. And the tactical flexibility that they offer is something that 
I think other Space Marine players are probably a little jealous of. I mean, I don't even take advantage of the mixed squads thing that they can do. Um, I, I pretty much just run, uh, you know, like classic squad types. I have experimented with putting like one aggressor in each squad of intercessors just because I, I love aggressor models, but I didn't really have the need to just have a unit of aggressors. So the fact that I can just put a single aggressor in each intercessor squad is so cool to me. And it's something that other space Marine players don't get, which is I'm sure very unfortunate, yeah. for but it's what makes <laughs> the death watch special. Well, definitely uh, yeah, my, my, first love and my first army is the dark angels army um yep. that is 20 years of intermittent collecting and painting mm -hmm. um and I, I very rarely have i had a successful game with that army <laughs> um, except I, I have to shout this out against poor brom from Warhammer. oh brom yeah <laughs> the, the, yeah the first ever game i had against him i beat him with the dark angels against his orcs and uh, he was very sad yeah <laughs> Bless him. But, um, uh, anyway, um, yeah, he, uh, um, yeah, he let me off on that one, I think. <laughs> but the the comparing the tactics and the way that army plays to the Death Watch, it's it really is no comparison. Um, you can have a, an army that is made up of all these different units, but you know, you, it's so simple to give you yourself additional tactical flexibility in a Death Watch army um, just by dropping in a. a jump pack veteran into exactly. what of veterans to essentially get the ability to fall the whole squad back and shoot. Yep. And it's, yeah, when I, I've explained to opponents that I can do that, they've just looked at me and gone, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If they don't know, I mean, cause, cause why would they, that that's such a powerful, you're basically giving yourself your whole army could have access to the ultramarines chapter tactic except it's better because they don't have yeah. minus one to hit. They just act as if they have the fly keyword They're, And, and when they, you know, when they fall back and they shoot, it's, it's so powerful. And it's not like that guy is worthless either. You can just give him a gun too. And yeah, definitely. I give, him, <laughs> give him a storm shield as well. Why not? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, it, and the storm shields, what are they? Three points right now or something? I, th I, I think last time I checked on battle scribe, it was two, but oh my uh, God, I, it's it's ludicrous um <laughs> yeah for some reason it's 10 points for a storm shield on the character models right um, yeah but to give a veteran a storm shield is two points that is so absolutely it, unbelievable like it, it's only a matter of time before that changes but yeah um, yeah of course but i mean I, you know you stack the 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 ability to have that flexibility with um you know special issue ammunition yeah. where you potentially wounding on twos um regardless of any modifiers and then you're you you perhaps as well got mission tactics that allow you to re-roll all ones against certain um certain types of target yep um, it's uh, and then put them with a watchmaster where you're re-rolling yep. everything anyway and you're giving them all storm bolters so they're getting yeah. four shots at rapid fire range yeah yeah it's it's essentially <laughs> filthy yeah 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 it is <laughs> but you know what other space marine army can say that they've got access to something that it's is, is like that um, right yeah and, and that's why they are it, it what well, it fits the narrative they're yes. they're powerful yeah. force and you know they, they operate in these small kill teams that are all specialized in different tactics yep 
Um, so, you know, you have the, the, the different, uh, what is it, Aquila, Furor, Pergertus, Venator, Malleus, Dominatus, all those different tactics that specialize yes. in basically taking out a certain type of enemy or in yeah. using a certain type of armor. Um, yeah, I'll be honest, I can't remember which is which. Yeah, I, I can't. <laughs> I, I'd need to open the codex and double check, but... Um, yeah, you know, certain types of team, you know, go in with the thunder hammers and smash things, whereas others stand off and shoot. It gives you the opportunity to create something really, really unique on the tabletop. Yeah, absolutely. And, not, and on top of that, they have such useful stratagems um, to coincide with that. They have, they have, I would say, some of the best stratagems, if not the best stratagems that are available to Space Marines, um, because you've got the... Uh, it, to coincide with all those rerolling one mission tactics against different enemy unit types, uh, they have a stratagem for two CP to go along with each of those that adds one to your wound roll against that target. So you can stack abilities to create this like horrific, like if you, let's say you don't want to do the wounding on twos one, let's say instead you want to do the, uh, I think it's the vengeance round where you're adding two to the ap value of the weapon yeah yeah um and then you know you put that on um intercessor bolt rifles and suddenly your basic infantry have ap minus three bolters and if you spend two cp they're wounding you know toughness eight things on fives or toughness seven things on fours um it's just it's insane what you can do with them absolutely insane the, um, it's uh, somehow i don't uh, it seems like the, the, the this book okay or the the codex and the stratagems came out at just the right time where there was a realization that space marine stratagems were just a bit pants yes um, yeah. even the chapter specific ones for dark angels blood angels um even you know they had a bit more but yep. not still not great still yep. not you know you had to really think about how to use them and when to use them. Yeah. You know, things like yeah. Deathwing assaults are fairly, you know, for, for Deathwing Knights are fairly straightforward, but it's a bit of a one trick pony. You know, it, your opponent knows that that's what you're going to do if you're <laughs> exactly Deathwing. But, you know, with the Deathwatch, you know, you've also got all of those stratagems that are specific to different types of Xenos. Exactly. So an anti-Orc stratagem and an anti-Tau stratagem and anti-Eldar so that you can actually, you know, have that added edge against specific uh, alien armies. Yeah. And it doesn't it's, help it, you against chaos, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, they don't have a specific thing to deal with chaos, but I think that's where, you know, Games Workshop does... To me, I think that's that's the better play is designing an army's strengths to actually match what they should be doing narratively. And yeah. to me, it makes sense that they wouldn't have anything against chaos. Like I I enjoy that they're specialized to fight Xenos. So if you're fighting non-Xenos opponents, it's not that the Death Watch are bad. You just don't have access to those particular tools because the Death Watch aren't allow they're not using what is undoubtedly their their very honed experience fighting aliens to to win this battle. They're just using the fact that they're insane, powerful killers in general um, 
Whereas against Xenos, they have that extra advantage because of all of their experience fighting those particular things. So to me, that was a really smart play from the uh, codex writing perspective and you know i think they should do that with with more armies is give them a bit more of a, a key bat you know strength that bounces out yes i mean you know there, there is that to a degree with you know armies that are good castling up and assault armies but there should be a you know a, a little bit more you know narrative thread to it i think yeah um i mean it's easy to say because i don't know everything about every army <laughs> So I might be talking complete rubbish, but in, certainly in terms of um, the, you know the Space Marine armies that, that I've played and and you know the, a few of the other armies that I've got, um, it'd be really nice just to have you know that that one thing that just sets them apart. Um, yeah, yeah, it's great because uh, you know we're focusing on Death Watch and and the narrative is the reason that they're they're so attractive. You know and yeah. And, it's one of the armies where the narrative fits the rules, fits the models, and it all kind of comes together. Um, yeah. And I think, like you said, I think that the Death Watch Codex was sort of the first and and maybe even only since uh, Space Marine Codex to like really grasp the ways in which Space Marines were struggling and compensate with those those things. Because it does seem like they finally figured out how to do stratagems in a way that was really useful. Um, I don't think anyone is complaining about the Death Watch's stratagems. Whereas yeah. when you when you look at the Grey Knights, like they don't have the tools because they cost so much to take to troops that you are always starved for command points anyway. And then all of their command point all their stratagems cost two CP randomly. It's like they thought they were going to be way better than they are or something. <laughs> um, and, and to me, that would be a huge fix for the, for the Grey Knights. Maybe not even enough just on its own, but I've always been of the opinion that um, one way to really help them would be to bring all their uh, two CP stratagems down to one CP. Um, as far as like the ones that buff their bolters or make their, uh, their psychic shots a little better stuff like that um that's just basic stuff that i think other armies easily would have access to for one cp and uh they for some reason it just costs twice as much for them which is so crippling for an army like that i and and, you know i think uh i think i think you know we will see these things change over time you know we're seeing that codexes are are being uh, re-released and and rules are being updated more regularly I think I think you know Games Workshop are listening to this kind of stuff and they're recognizing it and and it will be addressed. Yeah, um, I totally agree. Back in the back in the dark days of the of the nineties when I, I was playing Rogue Trader, or yeah. you know whatever edition it was would have been like second edition. Um, yeah. yeah, you you were stuck with what you had. <laughs> right, exactly. And I, like to me, the what I'm saying about the Grey Knights, uh, this is more for people listening than for you because i think you understand this and people that i talk to regularly definitely understand this but like when i say things like this i'm not i'm not saying games workshop is doing a bad job i cannot even begin to imagine the complexity uh of balancing a game this robust like to me that is so that is such a herculean task and you're never going to make everyone happy i'm i fully acknowledge that um but I will say 8th edition has been amazing so far by comparison to 
previous editions, it really has easily been the best edition of the game. Uh, we're in the best state of the game ever. And I think that that coincides with an incredible social media presence on their part that did not exist before. Um, it's like they suddenly realize what the internet is and <laughs> how to interact with people on it. And it has become an incredibly positive experience, I think, interacting uh, with their with their fan base and yeah definitely just you know getting rules uh changes based on our feedback instead of just being a, an essentially uh internal sort of hibernatory uh organization that they used to be yeah it's it's just so open and accessible and you know you uh well i, I didn't play seventh or sixth edition um, I can't remember exactly when I went away from the hobby, but I dipped my toe back into the water in sixth edition, and 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 I just thought, what's going on here? <laughs> it's not yeah. me, um, you know. It was, it was lots of gaming clubs with you know uh, everything behind closed doors. It was it was a little bit difficult, uh, or it felt difficult um, to go into a games workshop for a pickup game. So, yeah, I didn't bother. Um, but then 8th edition is just completely different. It's kind of like, you know, come and share the hobby. Uh, yeah. And everyone's, everyone's talking about it. You know, there's, there's things like, like this podcast, there's, there's discords, there's YouTube channels. There's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, it's very easy to access content and talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I wasn't getting emotional there. I was choking on my drink. That's <laughs> <laughs> quite all right. It's quite all right. Um, as long as you don't die, of course, that would not be okay. <laughs> so yeah, I we've we've covered a bit of what we love about them narratively, and obviously we've talked a bit about their strengths on the table, um, especially over what seem to be sort of the more struggling chapters of Space Marines. Um, they're definitely the dominant space marine force, I would say right now. Uh, it seems like most people's favorite tactics are to use them in conjunction with uh, it, it's a competitive setting uh, in conjunction with a knight uh, or two knights or uh, a castellan. I know their points recently went up, but it seemed like they were a thing that was being used in conjunction with knights. Uh, you would just spam veterans with storm shields and storm bolters. And then you would take a couple uh, smash captains from the Blood Angels and you'd have yourself a party. Um, so to me, that's, that's you know, that's a competitive list. That's not... Uh, yeah, I have to, it is a competitive list. It makes me a bit sad. <laughs> yeah, it is sad because it's so cookie cutter and it's so obvious. Um, I'm always so impressed with people who, the, the people who are capable of uh, flipping the meta on its head by winning tournaments with, you know, lists that no one has seen before, at least in a tournament setting. Like yeah. um, there was the the winner of the last big uh, grand tournament was, uh, he basically just had an Imperial Guard list. Uh, he had, I think, one knight in it, but it was almost exclusively a Katachin army, which is amazing to me. Um, not because guard aren't good, because I think Astro Militarum are very good right now, um, which is awesome. But in a competitive setting, Soup was just dominating. Um, and this guy just beat the entire thing. He 
crushed all these other heavily souped armies with like the loyal 32 they call it and the knights mm. uh and the smash captains he beat them with just a kata like a straightforward katachan army and he probably just played the hell out of it because he's an awesome player and he beat he beat the meta so that was really exciting to see i love when players are able to do that the only thing i hate is that inevitably when players uh sort of turn the meta on its head everyone just moves to the next thing yeah so there's like sort of this like despicable aspect of the of meta playing in general to me um where you like are the net list is a dangerous thing yeah yeah (laughs) exactly and i think you know as much as you know just because you uh andy have vets in your army with storm shields and storm bolters like i've never looked at your list and thought like that's a that's a tournament list like your list is clearly just the models that you like and and it doesn't mean that it's like not based on their rules because sometimes the rules are what is really cool about a model in addition to the way they look but you didn't design that army to be broken you designed it to be cool and just to be functional (laughs) it's 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 weird it's kind of evolved in such a strange way because uh when i when i started building it I, I had no template i had no list in mind right i just bought a, a couple of boxes of veterans and just built what i kind of liked yeah <laughs> you know, the, the stick a hammer on this guy this guy can have a bolter this guy you know just completely random mm-hmm. um because that was the kind of flavor that i was going for something that was mixed up and and you know gave the the character of, of you know a death watch kill team yep and then as I kind of gathered pace with it, I, I kind of started introducing things that I thought would be a bit more specialized. Um, so specialized close combat squads that, that were kitted out kind of all with with thunder hammers. Um, and then I thought, well, we're going to need a bit more kind of heavy firepower. So uh, I think it was your fault, to be honest. You told <laughs> me that veterans could take storm bolters. So <laughs> yeah. I bought every storm bolter from eBay. and started doing some kit bashing um and then i realized that you could have storm bolters and storm shields so i bought Mm -hmm. more storm bolters (laughs) and more storm shields yeah and then it was only at that point that i realized that actually they were pretty good (laughs) yes yeah so it's uh, and then alongside all of this i was developing my narrative Mm-hmm. Um, because you, you, you're talking uh, about the list that I, I've been putting together, uh, I'm, I suppose it's a series of lists now. Yeah. Um, it's in, that, uh, in the build-up to a narrative event that's actually happening this weekend, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it's basically a 1,250-point. Uh, it's not really a tournament; it is a knockout tournament structure, but it, it's it's a it's a narrative event. It's about telling a story. Right, and in in order to to sign up to that, we have to provide a short piece of narrative. So I'm taking the Death Watch, and I've kind of put down the narrative of of my Watch Fortress. Yep. Uh, and and all of this was happening at the same time as as kit bashing models and and you know building these kill teams, and and it it's developed into this kind of unwieldy beast where all of my company commanders are named all of my kill teams are named after their sergeant or their, their lead veteran yeah you know, all of the command characters are named and 
all have specific chapters and backgrounds. Um, it's turned into this complete story of its own, um, yeah. which is just such a brilliant thing about the hobby that you can do that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I, I, I did the same thing. I mean, the death watch to me started as an army. They started as how do I fill 2000 points with this army of really cool models? Um, and what do I like about the death watch that, you know, make them unique, set them apart from an aesthetic, uh, decision as far as like, how can I, how can I load them out? That is in unique ways. I knew that I loved the frag cannon. I love it's insane duality as like an anti heavy slash horde shredding weapon. Um, <laughs> it's so, so powerful. Like once you get into flamer range with it, it's absolutely yeah. brutal. Um, and you know, and outside of that, it's not, it's no slouch. I think it, it's, it's got some of the best duality of any gun available to space Marines, basically. Um, especially if you're in something like kill team, uh, yeah it's so nuts. powerful it's nuts um yeah. i mean I, I remember playing a, a guy with uh it was only my second game of death watch i only had a, a few frag cannons in the army at that point mm-hmm. and uh this guy matt uh he kind of went right what are they i went frag cannon <laughs> uh what do they do and i talked him through the data sheet and explained the profiles and rules and he went right they've got to die <laughs> And basically put everything he had into that squad to delete it as quickly as he could. Yeah. Uh, but it, it kind of it shows the threat that, I mean, he's a very good player. And yeah, uh, yeah he identified that threat and it was, I need to get rid of that right now. Yeah, they're horrifying. I mean, I played against um, my buddy Tyler with, he had just bought a, an orc army. He was pretty new with them. And uh, orcs, it was, the codex had just come out. They were very strong. Um my death watch army as i've said is not a competitive designed army so i wasn't prepared to win that fight but it was actually an amazingly close battle in a lot of ways um and there was a great moment where he had gotten the first turn his army was full of uh flash gets which are like the perfect space marine killers basically uh and they were he had like 20 of them in a battle wagon it was horrific uh he drove into shooting range his first turn he just shredded my entire front line like i lost like six (laughs) kill teams or something of vets in the first turn it was absolutely horrific but he was sending up you know i think he had like 40 or something boys that were leading the charge and uh in my first turn with even just the frag cannons i had left in the army i eradicated his entire wall of boys uh <laughs> which is just insane that's insane that you can counterpunch with just a like a half dozen guys with frag cannons you can turn a battle around like that um and you know the game ended up i think going his his way eventually but it was just such an awesome showdown and such an incredible showcase of the power of the frag cannon, which I think is well worth its points. Even though, you know, a space marine rocking a, a frag cannon or a veteran rocking a frag cannon is, uh, is definitely a costly model for a one wound model with toughness four and a three up save. But you can, if you use them intelligently, there's almost nothing scarier, I think, in the Death Watch arsenal. 
Yeah, definitely. And and you know, if you if you if you put them in in a squad and you you have the points or the capacity to put in a, a two wound Terminator and yep. or a, um, a guy with a storm shield. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. With storm shields being two points, you can just protect them. It's... Yeah, they, they'll be. They'll give you a degree of ablative wounds before you have to start taking off your precious frag cannons. Exactly. So they, they can sit there for quite a while. Uh, in the game that I just mentioned, I did not have that. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't understand the army quite as well at that point. Yeah. Um. So I had to. I had to put them back in the box very quickly. But <laughs> yeah, they are lethal if you get the opportunity to use them. Yep. And they, they have. I think an important aspect of the Death Watch too is that incredible ability to equip every single model with a, with a heavy weapon um it's space marines just don't have squads like that otherwise you know you have devastator squads which at a maximum four of them can take uh heavy weapons which means if you have a 10-man squad you know you're still stuck with just four if you have a 10-man vet squad all 10 veterans can take death watch frag cannons it's like it's just great that's crazy like <laughs> i'm and i know it's it's, it's it's not crazy it's awesome it is awesome it is awesome and and it's i should say like that is not an efficient use of frag cannons because that unit will cost like 400 points and it will get shot off the table immediately so it makes way more sense to to put in those ablative wounds with with uh storm shields and stuff like that um because they cost so little by comparison and they'll protect your your big guns for so much longer mm. um but it's the same thing with like uh you could give every guy in a squad a heavy thunder hammer and if that squad hits i mean they could blow up a knight in a single round of combat no problem but you just have to hope that they can get there um because <laughs> any every single one that dies is like 40 points from your army or more um you know, and and you're you're just desperately trying to get into combat with that unit, and space marines, as we know, are just not maybe as durable as they should be in the game of 40k. Like the average space marine doesn't survive maybe as long as we would expect them to, based on the fluff and the narrative and everything. Um, so, you know, a single space marine with a thunder hammer is a, is a huge investment to have go down to a lucky las gun shot or something yeah without doubt without that i i'm I, i'm literally before before we sat down to talk finished painting um five vanguard veterans which are the last five models in my army yeah um and they're they're all equipped with heavy thunder okay okay which is completely insane it um, is completely insane and and that is why i think people are so ridiculous when they talk to you about playing cheese because that is not a cheese squad that is a fun squad that is an awesome yeah, squad. yeah. It's, it's just <laughs> going to be hilarious to drop them in behind enemy lines smash them and watch them get shot to pieces <laughs> exactly yeah they're like a one punch uh thing and then they're just gone and i think that while it's sad to see your veterans get sort of thrown away quote unquote um in in games in game terms i think it's hilarious and it's awesome um so i love that you did that uh i, I love the squad and um it, it, it's it's the most unbalanced list that i think i've ever come up with because it's yeah. it got it's got this crazy kind of smash squad yeah. um loads of storm bolters and and storm shields um 
and then uh, we've got a smash captain, <laughs> which I, I, is just going to die. <laughs> it's just going to get shot. And then well, uh, a Venator heavy tank destroyer. Oh, Bob. yeah. <laughs> so it's it's going to be interesting. It's very light on boots on the ground. I think I've only got what um, must be 18, 18 kind of infantry models. <laughs> yeah, in the whole army. Yep. Yeah, well, you know, that's just uh, that's the way that you've decided to build your army. And I can't wait to see how they play because I feel like if you if you get some lucky rolls, uh, that could that army could have some very interesting damage output. Um, I would love to. See, I, I'm I'm very excited to see how they do. <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. It's, yeah. Uh... Yeah, I, 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 I'm taking on a Necron army first. So, it is, you know, it, it, even if I, I go down in a blaze of glory, at least I will have killed some aliens. Too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> at least you'll have quenched the fire in your soul that all Death Watch feel. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> and um, and this, this is just one list of, of many possible options that I've got now. So, you know, this is, is quite restricted by a low points value event. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I have actually managed to successfully recreate an entire watch fort. Um, so <laughs> the, I've been doing it kill team by kill team, and I've got a full 16 kill teams, all of different kind of makeups. And each company is led by a different uh, watch captain from a different chapter. Yep. You know, it's been so much fun. Oh, yeah, you know, it's a blast. Yeah. And weaving in all those different narratives and, you know, uh, some of them are kind of uh, just random names that have been plucked out of the air. Some of them have a bit more meaning, you know, to people I've worked with or people I've known from years ago. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a lot lot of fun. Um, And I'm looking forward to kind of expanding and exploring their kind of story on the table. Yeah. um, Yeah. To see what other stories I can add to it. Right. do you uh i don't want to give away if you if any of this is a secret but none of it is a secret no. <laughs> okay it's all it's all out there <laughs> so i figured if if you want we could talk a bit about our personal death watch armies and you could talk a bit about like the narrative behind your army i know you have a very compelling sort of secret agenda at the, yeah, at the heart yeah. of your uh watch fortress so if you want to talk about that i'd love to hear it yeah yeah well it's it goes back again to the fact that i'm a a duplicitous dark angels player so uh, i i'm you know i'm all about kind of shady stories and secrets and kind of you know walls uh, wheels within wheels and uh it's part of the reason i started you know kit bashing my own inquisitors last yeah. year um because you know they're they're not whiter than white characters by any stretch <laughs> to imagine no um, but the, I, I figured that um, when I, I kind of started putting together the Death Watch, that I wanted there to be a Dark Angels kind of representation. Yes. So uh, I kind of, uh, one of the first models or early models that I made was a watch captain in Terminator armor, and I made him a full Deathwing Knight. Um, so I gave him, you know, the Dark Angel shield and, and the kind of the feather headdress Yep. And, uh, you know, instead of a thunder hammer, he's got the uh, Mace of Absolution. Yep. Um, or Redemption, whichever one it is. I think remember. it is Absolution, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Awesome it's, model. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was so much fun to put together. And, and I was amazed. This is kind of going back to the modeling aspect, but I was amazed how kind of easy it was to take that kind of Death Watch, Watchmaster, um, you know, the off the shelf Terminator model. Yeah. And just do a few fairly straightforward things to it. Yeah. It's just so unique. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. and that I started getting ideas for kind of other characters that I could introduce and other uh, you know other elements of the watch fort. Um, so yeah, the the whole thread to the the background of the of the the watch fortress is that they the watchmaster is a former angel of redemption. Yep. And um, watchmaster Antonius. So he's absolutely lethal and he is you know uh, as he should be a um a renowned xenos hunter yeah but being an angel of redemption they're, they're kind of um one of the unforgiven chapters uh, dark angel successor chapters that are most dedicated to hunting the fallen right and, and they think that you know until every single or one is brought to justice um you know they they won't be forgiven um I think uh, there's even there's not too much information on them, but in the codex, there's even a short um, extract of the fact that they they risked inquisitorial censure by pulling out of a, a conflict um, against the orcs um, at the last minute, just to kind of basically disappear and go and hunt one of these fallen. Yeah, and it led to the collapse of the system. A whole kind of guard brigade was massacred. Um, civilian settlements were lost um, and in the annals of the Angels of Redemption it's recorded as a victory because they did capture the fallen Right. <laughs> so they're just like yeah we don't care about that all those billions of people who died yeah yep. not our problem so Watchmaster Antonius um, was involved in that campaign and he was involved in that and the, the basically the Ordo Xenos struck a deal um, with the Angels of Redemption to use him to lead um, a Death Watch Watch Fortress um, as kind of, you know, it, we'll actually forget that that happened if you give us one of your guys um, for the tithe of the Death Watch. Right, right. So that's kind of the core of, of you know, where he's coming from. You know, he, he's dedicated to his, his task. Yep. He's dedicated yep. to the Death Watch. He's taken the oath and he'd never turn his back on that. But he has a secret agenda because he's an angel of redemption and how could he not? Right. So yeah, he has then uh, recruited um, from the unforgiven, um, a load of different uh, kill team uh, sergeants and, and, and key personnel to lead his kill teams uh, as well as a watch captain. Yep. Um, and so there's this whole thread running through the watch for um, that while they are, you know, dedicated Xenos hunters, um, they're always on the lookout for Fallen and they will quite easily go on a side mission <laughs> <laughs> while they're deployed um, to, to go uh, and, and find uh, one of these uh, naughty chaps from, from back in the heresy days. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun kind of coming up with this. I mean, that, that, is, that is the headlines. Um, right. you know, there's a lot more to it, um, but the the kind of twist in the tale, really, um, that I haven't really explored properly yet, is that one of the watch captains um, is from an unknown chapter, mm. 
Um, so I've I've modelled the the guy. He's called uh, Captain Persis, mm-hmm. and I've modelled him with the um, uh, black shield um, pauldron, yep. um, which is obviously the the one that's all battered in, and you can't really tell. It's got chains uh, on it and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've they've kind of scrubbed away the chapter markings. Exactly. Uh, because I mean, the, the black shields we haven't mentioned are just so cool in themselves. These oh, kind of yeah. wanderings, you know, um, warriors. Um, almost like Ronin, um, yep. the, the kind of you know without a, a master or without a chapter, um, and just lend their services. Um, but the twist in the tale is that um, Captain Persis is actually one of the fallen, um, oh. but he's one of the good fallen um, because they're not all bad guys. Um, right. He's trying to redeem himself um, by serving the Death Watch. So no one knows this. No one knows his history. They just think he's from an unknown chapter. Um, but it gives a nice uh, kind of twist and and a, uh, quite a dark kind of balance to, to, to this uh, secret agenda. Yeah, that's fantastic. Because yeah, I'll, I'll hold off on kind of boring you with every single kill <laughs> team names and uh, uh, because I, I I wrote it all down and all of a sudden before I knew it I had like ten thousand words. Of yeah, no, I. I, the same thing has happened with me. I have so much written because they're just such a compelling army. Um, but yeah, I, I love that. I love that there you've written in a story where there's a, a fallen operating under the nose of a hunter of the fallen. Yeah, like it's it's uh, that's such a great idea. It's just it's just you know uh, it's a proper <laughs> uh, gesture, shall we say? Yeah. <laughs> master who is this renowned warrior and and you know risked it all to pursue the fallen um and still does under the radar of the inquisition and then there's there's one of his trusted lieutenants one is his, his watch captains is yeah. is actually his quarry um albeit he is not you know uh, he's not a chaotic quarry he's 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 a good guy he's just uh just misunderstood right that's all it is <laughs> he just thought he heard luther talking he thought he had a, he was making some sense and then before he knew it he was wrapped up in something that uh he never would have agreed to <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah I, that's super cool um and um you know we i think we both have gone pretty deep into the backstories of our our disparate watch forces um so you uh what is the name of the of your watch fortress uh it's that it it is actually a real watch fortress um it's it's not one that i've invented it's uh fort obsidus okay um, which is it's not explored in any great detail in the codex um is depicted on the on the galaxy map and it's quite a kind of obscure one. Um, I think it's uh, in the segmentum solar, um, mm-hmm. right down at, um, uh, in the kind of galactic west. Yeah. Um, but it, it it just, I mean, I mean, it's so immature, and it's, <laughs> it just sounded right for yeah. No, that's fine. Who wear black, who wear black power armor? <laughs> you know, it just had that kind of dark, kind of brooding feel to it, and then. Yeah. Uh, I just kind of picked it up and ran with it, really, and invented all these characters who who serve that fort. Yeah, I I think that that's totally fine. I mean, at a certain point, you know, you you're just making 
up you're you're trying to compensate for the fact that you aren't actually existing in a universe that has been around for thousands of years and you're just writing a narrative so at a certain point you have to just make decisions based on does this sound cool does it sound right and go with that um and my my watch fortress likewise is a real watch fortress within like the you know the, the official canon of uh, 40k um my watch fortress i chose was the eye of damocles which is uh almost the galactic opposite uh of of yours um it's in the far southeast it's right on the border of uh tau space it's um, bon Frag, yeah yeah it's in it's uh near the ultramar uh I, i'm gonna I, I, i'm gonna be honest I, I didn't remember that i just opened the codex and looked at the map <laughs> I wanted to sound really cool and knowledgeable. Hey, you did, okay? I was completely convinced. Um, <laughs> yes, it is over there. It's in the Ultramar, or, or uh, right near the Ultramar province, anyway. Um, and uh, it is over near the Tau forces. Um, the Damocle It's named after the Damocles Gulf, which is that area of space sort of on the it's sort of the no man's land between uh the deeper imperium and uh the tau empire which is uh depending on how you think about it either slowly or rapidly expanding mm. um so the eye of damocles was I, th I think its primary function is to keep an eye on that emergent threat um but also that is a very busy portion of space. There's Necrons over there. There have been Tyranid hive fleets, uh, at least two that have passed through that area. Um, and orcs are everywhere. There's gotta be orcs over there. So basically they see activity, I think from pretty much everything, but the Tau are sort of the thing that they're designed to be watchdogs towards. Um, and I designed my watch company to be sort of the um you know the group that is keeping an eye on the tau as a threat um so you have the uh watch master of the of the fortress uh his name is diomedes and he's of the ultramarines um and he uh was seconded to the Eye of Damocles quite a while ago, um, he's a consummate general. He's uh, absolutely tactical genius. Um, and, you know, he he grew up strictly adhering to the Codex Astartes, um, as ultramarines are, are wont to do. Uh, but he has also drawing on a couple centuries worth of experience fighting the Tyranids as well, because he's a veteran of the Tyrannic War um in in uh, the ultramar province when mccrag was nearly overrun uh by the the high fleet invasion so uh he has an enormous amount of experience fighting the tyranids and at this point an enormous amount of time interacting with uh the tau in covert military operations and he is uh sort of he's brought along uh, a sort of companion from the Tyrannic Wars as well, which is uh, Brother Chaplain Eridus. So they're both uh, veterans of the Tyrannic Wars and they fought side by side in that conflict. Um, so that was sort of the core of the idea was that 
the the Watch Fortress was being led by veterans of the Tyrannic War, but their their primary concern at the moment is the emergent Tau uh, from their recent sphere expansion. Um, it's really interesting that you've you've chosen that setting um, because uh, it, I mean it seems to me. Correct me if I've got wrong under the stick. <laughs> But it seems to me you've kind of picked that location and that backstory because you you you, you know there is all of this recorded activity. Yes, that you can kind of play with narratively. Yeah, um, completely the opposite side of the coin is it, one of the reasons that I chose the the for Obstus to to build the story around is because it's a bit of a blank canvas. Yeah. So I could, I could. It's essentially the same reason, but a different mechanism. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. There's, there's really nothing going on around for Obstus in codex or, or fluff terms, um, so I can just make up my own. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And I think both are super valid. Um, you know, it's it's just two different methods of storytelling, basically. You're, mm. One is you're, you're taking something that has as much story already written about it, so you can sort of be or at least I can feel somewhat content or justified when specific things happen. I can say, you know, that's plausible because this, this particular Xenos threat is, is common in the region or, um, you know, them having been through the tyrannic wars, it not only is it directly next to two people who've been through the tyrannic wars, um, but those people who've been through the Tyrannic Wars would have an extensive amount of experience fighting Xenos. Um, so I tried to weave not a complex web, but just a, a web of plausibility um, in in the Watch Fortress that I chose. Um, so yeah, I mean, there, there are other things that I did too. Um, I actually also have a Black Shield uh, in my uh he he was a black shield in my watch fortress um and this is this is actually part of the huge fun of playing death watch is that you can incorporate every chapter in your army Definitely. um you can incorporate chapters that don't exist you can incorporate chapters that are super obscure that you would never play a whole army of but you love maybe the aesthetic and the look of them and you want maybe just one in your army it's perfect for that um so i had this idea basically i was in my crazy kit bash mode um i came up with the idea of uh another watch captain based on the uh space marine lord executioner model which i always loved classic model super cool um so much character in those old fine cast models unfortunately <laughs> um yeah, they're but, a pain in the backside to build, <laughs> but you know, man, they they are cool. They're just so cool. So, yeah, I, I got this guy, and I was like, you know, immediately when I when I bought him because he'd been out of stock forever on the GW website, he finally came back in stock, and I was like, oh man, okay, now I'm I'm I know I'm getting him. Who do I want him to be? I I had already used some of my favorite chapters. Um, I'd use the Flesh Terrors. I have a watch captain named Arthos Repta, who's a flesh terrors captain, watch captain. Um, I have a watch captain from the Salamanders named Fao Dan. I uh, love the Salamanders. Um, and then I was like, basically, I was just 
I, I wanted another watch captain with this guy. And I was like, what's a chapter that I really like that I haven't used yet? And I was like, oh my God, the Carcharodons, the space sharks. I've like, <laughs> I, I've always thought they were so cool. I didn't know too much about them. So this was basically an excuse to like read about them a little more. And then I really liked what I read. So I came up with this guy who basically he reached the eye of Damocles on like a sing on a one man sort of vessel alone uh, with his equipment, but his equipment being a Carcharodon, his equipment was sort of salvaged from many generations of uh, Astartes armor and weaponry because the Carcharodons have been sort of a nomadic chapter that's been out in deep space for so long that they've had to like salvage armor and weapons from whatever they can find. Um, so his gear was like super, uh, you know, roughshod. It was it was uh, f falling apart in places, um, and he had this very intense look to him because the Carcharodons are supposedly descended from um, Corvus Corax. So you know, he has this gaunt, incredibly pale face, black eyes, mm -hmm. and he'd sort of sharpened his teeth down to fangs, and because the, culturally that's what they do. And they saw this guy, and they were like, "We don't even know." where you're from and he he barely spoke an understandable language he spoke like old uh low gothic not modern high gothic um they were very just thrown off by him and he knew that he would present himself he would be a strange presence uh in in the watch fortress so he willingly uh submitted himself as a black shield because he was worried that if he said what chapter he was from that it would be unfamiliar to them and they would accuse him of being from a traitor legion so he just submitted himself as a black shield and he skipped that process he just said he was coming to fulfill the tithe um and he wouldn't say who he was uh he refused to he took an oath of silence essentially on of or of anonymity at least and he went in with a black shield but within a couple of battles uh, he was fighting under Watch Captain Repta of the Flesh Terrors, and uh, Watch Captain Repta saw his his performance and went, "This man is clearly an incredible, ferocious warrior. Uh, he he should be immediately, uh, you know, elevated to the ranks of actual veteran status." So within a couple of battles, he was put within uh, the veterans, not as a black shield, but as a full-on veteran. And uh, and then uh, serving several more actions, he was under the command of the Salamanders captain, Faudan, who saw his actions. And he was like, this man isn't just a veteran of battle and a, an actual like a, an absolutely ferocious combatant. He's also um, he appears to be an incredible leader of men and his leadership uh, skills are. Um, it's it's clear that he was a, an officer of some sort from before he got here. So um, so his name was thrown in at this point. His name he revealed himself. Uh, his name is Oruhau, um, and but he still didn't reveal where he was from. Um, but it was at this point that uh, one of the previous watch captains had died in action, um, and Watchmaster Diomedes, the leader of the of the watch fortress had to make a decision. He had a bunch of rosters in front of him 
of potential candidates for a replacement watch captain, and he ended up going with Oruhau as his next watch captain, at which point he revealed that he's from the Karkaradons, and he was given a new suit of armor uh, from the Death Watch, so it, he looks largely like the rest of them in his battle plate, except that his right pauldron, instead of having his um, chapter insignia, is just a Mark IV uh, pauldron that has like the big metal studs in it, because um, that was one of his original pieces of armor. And uh, he has some other sharky bits on him. I gave him some uh, an Edeneth Deepkin uh, axe blade for his to replace his uh his own axe and i replaced his iron halo with the deepkins like metal collar things to give him a very unique look um assuming he sort of brought that gear from his leadership position uh in his ship to serve the tithe and uh went through these you know from such humble beginnings in the ranks of the death watch he quickly joined uh and ascended and became a watch captain so he's just an example that's so cool though i mean (laughs) it's it's such a good story but i mean the other thing that i was kind of smiling to myself all the way through that um Mm -hmm. not only because it it's clear that you know that character development was so much fun yes yeah but um, Watch Captain Persis, my uh, my Black Shield uh, Watch Captain, who's actually a Fallen, is completely different. Yeah. Yeah, uses the same base model, <laughs> the, the Executioner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I've, awesome. I've, I, you know, I've kitbashed him so that he's got a, a, a Storm Shield and, and a Thunder Hammer and, and various other bits and pieces and different head and, you know, different pauldrons. Sure. Um, it's the same base model, but if you put them next to each other, you just wouldn't know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because they're so that's, different. That's looking. the fun of the, of this army in terms of you know modeling opportunities. Yep. Yep. It's so much fun, and and these are the kind of stories you can tell too. I mean, you know, creative people are always going to tell compelling stories about their armies. It doesn't matter what army you play but i think the beauty of the death watch specifically is the diversity of storytelling um, that's inherent in a single army it's just it's it makes it so much fun and it makes it so endlessly uh you know you never get tired of it it's it's there's always something new and and where i started with this in terms of developing the, the the story within the the watch fortress was really simple yeah um I had I had my kind of Dark Angels Deathwing um, watch captain, yep. um, this guy, and I gave him his nail, uh, his name Safariel, um, yeah. you know, typical Dark Angels name. Sure, yeah, really, really evocative. And uh, I, I just played a game um, uh, with uh, a friend of mine, and um, I, I had one unit of veterans. I had Safariel, and I had a. Um, uh, basically a, a librarian in Terminator armor that had, had a head swap. Um, so it was very beardy and space wolvesy. Yep. Um, and the, the, I, I just bolted them on to the Zion's force and played it as an Inquisition Imperial suit. Yeah. And I got completely annihilated by all. <laughs> but the watch captain and, and the librarian just kicked ass just completely held this one flank just kind of you know holding back the green tide and i lost the game kind of quite quite significantly but it kind of gave me this story 
um, you know, of a space wolf um, and a, a dark angel that absolutely hate each other. Yeah. Um, but they have this the kind of begrudging mutual respect. And when they're in battle, that they've got each other's back and they just, you know, they will pull together um, to, to win the day for, the, for, you know, for their men. Right. So uh, Safariel became the kind of watch captain of the, the first company of the watch fort, um, Company Primus. And then he's always accompanied into battle by his rune priest, Olaf Orksbane. Um, and you know it's become this kind of central story and to be quite honest if you you know if I'm going to um, play a really competitive game if I was going to a tournament which is not the kind of thing I tend to do yeah um, I wouldn't take those two guys because there'll be really subpar choices (laughs) right right competitive builds but in terms of fun, they're both going this weekend. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. you know they're going to be the linchpin of the army. They're they're get, they're they're the story. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just that, to me that's the magic. Really, it's it's uh, it's finding the things that make you so excited. And like you, I I drew on events in the game to tell some of my story. Like um, I was talking about Watch Captain Arthos Repta who's from the flesh terrors one of my favorite chapters um and i used the uh gabriel seth model as a basis for the conversion of him because gabriel seth's model is one of my favorite space marine models um it's so funny when these things click because like for so long i had loved that gabriel seth model and simultaneously was collecting death watch and just had no thought of like combining the two uh, it was like living in a world where peanut butter and, and jelly had never been merged into a single thought. Um, so I was just sitting there like, oh, I wish I wish I had a use for this model. And then simultaneously playing Death Watch. And then like my brain just clicked and I was like, oh, my God, he could be the Flesh Terror's watch captain that I, I can't believe I didn't think of this. So I finally did it. I kit bashed Gabriel Seth, gave him the inquisitorial pauldron gave him a a storm uh, i gave him a bolt rifle from the intercessor's kit to be his uh mastercrafted uh mastercrafted bolter and uh his giant chain sword i feel like could be used interchangeably as either a relic blade or a thunder hammer um but uh typically i use it as a as a relic blade but um and then i give him that warlord trait if he's my warlord that allows you to add one damage to one of their weapons um and i give it to his chain sword so he's doing (laughs) yeah so he's he's doing uh d3 plus one damage in combat which is actually really good yeah on a watch captain that's really good and then he's strength six with a relic blade ap minus three damage d3 plus one i mean that's that's very good actually um and then i actually he was in my game that I fought against the orcs that I was talking about earlier. And uh, I was not going to win that fight, but there was a point where my opponent, Tyler had charged forward uh, with all his boys, but he also was able to push forward with like this retinue of a, an orc war boss and uh, a pain boy and some other character. There were like three characters and a, or no, there was a, sorry, there's an, Warboss, uh, pain, 
pain boy and then a squad of knobs and um they were like fully into my lines uh in his first turn basically through some orc trickery and um uh, my watch captain repta i basically performed a counter charge and he charged that whole retinue and i managed to um get him into combat and kill the orc war boss before he could swing um <laughs> which is so awesome so i I always say I I include that now in his uh, in his fluff. He did end up fall falling in the battle, but I always just I added it into his story that like on one of his earliest actions as a watch captain, he managed to bring down an orc war boss in combat. Um, yeah, which... yeah. No, you know he didn't fall. He was you know he was dragged back by yeah. his and you know reached the shuttle or the teleporter and yeah job done he was heroically <laughs> saved the last moment yeah he activated his teleport homer and uh flew up to the to the ship um which i also named their their <laughs> ship that they yeah. use is uh the black laurel is the flagship of the of See, uh, that's awesome. I I need to I need to move on to that cuz uh, I I've you know I've named kind of fairly blandly all the Corvus Black Stars and, you know, the the heavy support tanks and things, you know, things like uh, Omega and Cassius and Storm right. and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, they, they do need, you know, a primary ride that these guys can, can all pile into and right. go gallivanting across the galaxy, slaying Xenos and having fun. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think... Oh, that's just so much of the fun I think comes from that stuff um, in another game actually in one of the battle reports for the channel uh, watch Captain Faudan the Salamanders one uh, I gave him the Bane Bolts of Eryxia which is a Death Watch relic that adds one to your damage rolls for a weapon that has like the bolter keyword basically mm. um, and he had a mastercrafted bolter so that meant each shot was damage three Um and the it also makes it so that sixes will cause a mortal wound in addition to the normal damage. Um, so I gave him a mastercrafted bolter, and I gave him the bane bolts of Eryxia. And in that game, I did a rather reckless choice, which was I spent two CP to get um, to give him plus one to wound against heavy support enemy types. Or maybe it was fast attack because I, I was shooting at destroyers, Necron destroyers. Um, and he fired twice, rapid fire, uh, was using vengeance rounds. So he was AP minus three. And um, he brought down two destroyers with two shots, uh, which is just so, <laughs> so epic. I mean, it's that so is, that, yeah, that is cool. <laughs> And like, you know, he didn't die. Like I, I won that game. Like that's just part of his legacy is he two shots, two Necron destroyers killed. Like that, that's an incredible uh, show for him. I would say. I, um, I, I think that this is, you know, it's going to be a pattern, isn't it? It's uh, it, because of the nature of these armies and the nature of the narrative behind them. And yeah, I'm sure it's not limited to Death Watch. You know, I'm sure there's many people out there who've got their own rich backstories that they've given sure. to their forces. But uh, nine times out of ten, okay, you said that you won that game, but yeah. <laughs> most of, of us as narrative players will lose because we'll pursue that 
epic moment over exactly. a logical decision that might win us yeah. the game. I mean, that was that was against the odds because I was firing at something with a higher toughness, and instead of doing the two up to wound, I I wanted to get that extra AP, so I spent two CP to possibly wound on fours, and I got both wounds and and killed two destroy. I mean, like that the the odds of it were very slim, but uh, the fact that he did it was so incredible to me. That was my favorite moment in the whole game. Um, yeah, so there's them. And then also I I have the story of um, Inniversar Assassin joining uh, <laughs> the Black Laurel because I wrote uh, a little backstory of where Watchmaster Diomedes was told to he was basically there was a request beacon sent out from a nearby uh, a, a, a planet that housed uh, an assassin temple. It was uh, an Aversar temple specifically uh, in the in the uh, Damocles Gulf, and they sent out the call. Watchmaster Diomedes responded. The temple was under attack from a Drakari raid. They were trying to. Um, raid the temple and get their sort of combat enhancement drugs and stuff and yeah, yeah. experiment for themselves. But uh, the intervention of the Death Watch prevented them from getting what they wanted. And uh, the Drakari ended up retreating without anything that they wanted. So the result of that was that the uh, Officio Temple gifted um, a single agent of the uh, Temple Aversor to the death watch um who i've named <laughs> he's just got this like technical name uh it's asset 37125iii.aa um <laughs> just a random numerical designation um yeah. i wanted <laughs> we ca I, I came up well uh, myself and stylus were playing a, a narrative campaign uh, one of the guys who's who's from discord yeah and um, yeah we were we were basically his um uh, Thousand Sons and Black Legion versus uh, a mix of my Imperial armies yeah. uh, have been competing um, over a series of games for uh, um, a Calexis assassin with an incredibly <laughs> long designation. Um, and we just, we, we've kind of given up now and he's just called the asset. Yeah. <laughs> it's perfect. So I mean, what, what did you call him again? What was oh, his code name? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a long one. It's a long one. Um, three seven one two five iii dot aa. Yep, just normal. Um, just rolls off the tongue. It's really yeah, catchy. for sure, for sure. Um, but yeah, I, I so basically, you know, Aversor assassins are so filled with uh, combat stims and uh, these incredibly corrosive uh, drugs that make them superhuman in combat that they're essentially eroding away uh at all times so adversaries are often kept in sort of a cryostasis until a battle and then they're dropped in and they're sort of woken up in their drop pod uh on the way down to a mission and they're given their mission parameters and then they land and they get to work and they just murder 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 uh until they run out of life or until they've achieved their mission so uh because assassins and space marines don't necessarily uh 
get along particularly well. Um, I have it so that the asset is basically he's been just put in like a uh, like a storage hold on the black laurel, uh, sort of out of the way of everything in a in a stasis pod. And uh, when missions are set, he's dropped in, but otherwise he's just kept on ice. And uh, that way they don't have to deal with him and the threat that he poses. And not only to them, but to himself just by being awake um, and non-hibernatory. So. It's very similar to uh, one of the Horus Heresy novels, um, Nemesis, with yes. Assassin, where the, the Eversaur has to be kept on ice. Uh, and when he wakes up, the first thing he does is just write your dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he he just kill, it's he's woken up without a mission, so he just starts killing. He yeah, just kills he, everyone. Everyone, yeah, which is amazing. But what's really funny is that I hadn't read uh, read Nemesis until like a month ago, and I actually wrote the uh, idea of this guy like a year ago. So, um. I just feel really fortunate, I guess, that he ended up being so so true to form of the adversaries, <laughs> basically. But uh, I, I, I'm not going to uh, take the Mickey too much, but um, uh, they're not deep, rich characters. <laughs> no, they're not. They, they have a default setting. <laughs> yes, and I and I don't I don't even think of him as a character. I should say, like he's uh, he's more of an act of God or something. Um, he just showed, yeah, force of nature. He just he's dropped in, and then he just kills, and that's he has the one setting. You see it in the in the book Nemesis too. That the Eversor isn't a character; he's just a body that exemplifies rage and anger and pain. Um, and he just revels in killing. Anything about killing piques his interest, and nothing else. Um, he's just not entertained by anything else. Uh, they definitely don't have any humanity left in them. Uh, but speaking of of humanity, I think it is what's such an interesting aspect of, uh, or it was a dichotomy that I tried to create within my particular Watch Fortress uh, company because Diomedes being the the extremely tactical, shrewd commander that he is, he tried to draw very disparate elements of um battlefield efficacy around him and that was why one of his watch captains is a flesh terror and another one is a salamander um yeah. he really tried to choose very opposing aspects of battlefield control and um and and basically he he took counsel from two of the most disparate chapters uh at his disposal so that he could sort of uh, as effectively find the middle ground as possible or that he could most objectively view a battlefield, maybe from outside of his natural perspective. Um, and I wrote up a little blurb a while ago on the Instagram. I did one of those uh, moving picture things that I do. And um, it was one with the uh, with Faudan of the Salamanders. And I basically wrote this little you know, speech that he gave his men about how... Um, it's their incredible camaraderie that is what makes them so powerful. It isn't just their equipment or their like genetic, uh, you know, extra humanness. It's that they 
are willing to overcome their differences because they know the stakes and they know uh, that they're more powerful for it. And, you know, when it comes down to it, they know who their allies are um, and who their enemies are. And when humanity is united, it can bring everyone together. Whereas, like, you know, Watch Captain uh, Arthos Repta thinks more about just how to kill the enemy. So there's an extreme difference of philosophies, but it takes someone as sort of balanced and uh, and careful and considered as Diomedes to lead such incredibly different people into battle under a single banner, as it were. Definitely, I, I think it, I mean that that is the key thing with the Death Watch, isn't it? It's it's about um, throwing all these people to, together from such diverse backgrounds and such different philosophies, yep. um, giving them um, the the best tools to do the job, giving them the best leadership, and saying learn from each other and get better. <laughs> exactly. And that's reflected in 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 a lot of the stories that I've read um, so far. Um, I mean, I'm aware that I've only just scratched the surface with it, but um, the, the kill team that is followed through uh, the, the short stories in the Death Watch omnibus, mm-hmm. you know, that they, they are polar opposites. Each one is so different, and yet there's this underlying respect. Um, even where there's a bit of animosity, where where one of the um, one of the members of the kill team think they should be the alpha, um, and they think that they should be leading rather than the uh, librarian um, who is in charge. Right. But yeah, when it comes down to it, they they back him to the hilt completely. Yes, um, exactly. Um, and they they're constantly learning because everyone's got the slightly different tactics, slightly different experience. And I think that I've tried to replicate that um, through the Watch Fortress that I've been building. Um, you know, uh, there is a degree of randomness to it because mm-hmm. I kind of thought, well, I want a Dreadnought who's a Black Templar because that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> but um, also, you know, where else are you going to be able to have uh, a captain from the Dark Angels, a captain from the Howling Griffins? A captain from the Silver Skulls, all in the same army. It's, exactly. You know, it's so different and such different approaches to to warfare. Yeah. Um, it's it's a lot of fun, um, and then gives you that opportunity not just for storytelling, but also to you know create bespoke kill teams that kind of match the ethos. Yes. Um, so you can say right today we're going to be Nova Marines, essentially. <laughs> we're going to, you know, we're going to follow that kind of pattern um, or, you know, we're going to have an Ultramarines vibe, you know, or we're going to be led by Howling Griffin. So we're going to, you know, follow this pattern. Right. And, and then pick some kill teams from the, uh, from the codex. And, and, you know, it, it allows you to play a different army, you know, every week. Yeah. <laughs> It really does. Yes. It's great fun in that way. I think, you know, not just the stories, you know, but, you know, real different character to the way you can play the game. Yeah. You know, you can castle up or you can get into people's faces or you can pile into transports and drop out the skies. It's great. It's absolutely great. And, and, you know, I think the game allows for enough flexibility for you to really do what you want for the most part. Um, even outside of the bounds of just a codex, maybe 
like um when the uh shadow spear box dropped i was so excited about the new vanguard primaris i thought they were incredibly cool i thought the eliminators and the infiltrators like nothing seems more death watchy to me than that um that is just so cool special opsy and uh of course, when they released it, they announced that the Death Watch cannot take uh, anything from that book, basically anything from that from that box. So while that was initially like a big bummer and I was and I was, you know, like, you know, that's not my ideal situation. I thought, well, what can I do to compensate for that and have them still be in the army? And I thought, well, I'll take him in their own detachment and i'll run them as a different chapter and i'll run them as uh i decided crimson fists because i thought it was super fitting that like a special ops army would excel at engaging um enemy hostiles that outnumber them greatly so um the crimson fist chapter tactic was added later in a white dwarf it's not in the codex but it allows you to add one to hit rolls if you're shooting at an enemy that has twice your number of models uh, mm. as as the unit that is fighting so it basically means that a lot of the time these small units of space marines would be hitting on twos instead of threes um which to me just felt so cool and very like spec opsy uh that they would sort of engage larger enemy units with sort of like overwhelming quick rapid fire power um and just try to deal with the threat sort of immediately um i i kind of wish i'd done that <laughs> <laughs> um but I, I got the shadow spear box set and invented my own chapter <laughs> hey that's awesome too man that's yeah so cool. yeah it's uh yeah it's also gathered pace into a, a, a that's a whole different podcast <laughs> <laughs> um yeah yeah an army with its own narrative and characters but uh, yeah well i the i did you know, what I decided to do was because the Vanguard Primaris are such a new um, force that is available to Space Marines in the mm. in the narrative, I didn't really think it was, like, justifiable to say that these were all veterans in the standard way that that units are when they join the Death Watch. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But basically, I, I put it to the point of, like, since... Um, Robute Gilliman sort of acknowledged that times are tougher than ever and that we need to start like inducting Primaris Marines straight into the Death Watch. Um, I thought, oh, wouldn't it be cool if like an entire chunk of Primaris uh, Vanguard, uh, you know, like a, a chunk of a company was sent to assist uh, like they were all seconded directly from the Indomitus Crusade without ever ha having a chapter de designation. So the entire um, the entire detachment is made up of uh, gray shields, which are like the un uh, you know non chapter specific Primaris Marines. Yeah. Uh, so that entire detachment, I just gave them gray shields their right pauldrons are all just gray shields they have no sort of home chapter and um i think i'm going to write into the narrative they're going to get a lot of uh they're going to catch a lot of flack for that uh from the veterans because the veterans are so they're all 
old that, you know, they've all been around for so long. They have such a rich, deep culture to them. Um, I think they're going to look at these, these, you know, pups essentially, and really feel like they don't belong. Um, but again, they're going to have to overcome that very quickly. Um, in the face of actual threats, uh, these huge emergent disparate threats in the sprawling campaign that I have prepared on the channel with, um, you know, they're engaging Tau at the moment, but there's going to be orcs, there's going to be Eldar, there's going to be Necrons, there's going to be a huge Tyranid threat that ends up sort of being a very big problem for everyone. So squabbles like that are going to have to be cast aside very quickly i want that to be like a compelling part of the story as i go along too yeah yeah and and uh, you know you, you'll be able to progress that because eventually the the vanguard primaris will be available to the death watch in yeah the proper rules <laughs> yeah i would assume so yeah <laughs> um, gw have hinted at it and they've just said you know not for the the monopose kits right um it'll probably be when their multi multi kind of part kits come out but yeah, you can then develop that and say, right, now is the time to induct them fully yeah. um, into into the Death Watch. Personally, I've steered away from Primaris. For, uh, I've got um, 80 um, uh, troops yeah. and uh, only 10 of those uh, Primaris. And the only reason that I've got them is one unit was a test job, um, test paint um, to, to get the schemes down. Yeah. Um, and I've just kept them. Um, and the other one was some hell blasters um, because I needed a heavy support option so that I could <laughs> use my Leviathan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it just gives me a, a, an alternative to running a, um, a running a, a, a contempt of dreadnought or something like that. Right. But yeah. It's uh, I, I, yeah. That they're kind of shuffled at the back. <laughs> and they're not really included in the narrative and they're not really, you know, they're very much the kind of new boys. Right. Uh, and they're not really talked about. Um, the, the veterans treat, uh, you know, they basically deal with them at arm's length. Right. Uh, and, and it's very similar to the kind of the story about the, the stories about the Primaris joining the Dark Angels that I've read. Yes. You know, they're, they're very much thrown into the front line. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You know, all used for major engagements that um, the Imperium requests the Dark Angels to to get involved in. Right. So behind the screen of that, they can go about their secret agendas. <laughs> right. And the Primaris are none the wiser. Yeah. 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 So, oh well, I, I, there is uh, obviously one story where they they kind of the, the they have their light bulb moment called War of Secrets, where I won't spoil what happens, but it's definitely well worth a read. Yeah, I I've heard about that, but I haven't read it. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it's cracking. It's kind of um, a group of hell of clueless hell blasters who uh, <laughs> who learn a few, not all, a few of the secrets of the yeah. dark. Um, but yeah, I, obviously, with the theme running through my fortress, uh, that kind of seemed an obvious way to kind of include a couple of units um, to allow me to have certain builds. While keeping a narrative that was really strictly built around veterans and and these more experienced fighters rather than the new boys, right. um, so they 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 are literally um, and narratively there to make up the numbers. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and it it does fit narratively that you know space marines would say, 
oh, you're both really tough and I don't respect you as much, so get on the front line. Um, that definitely seems like a, a very pragmatic mentality that Space Marines would have. Um, and I think I basically did the same thing. I mean, my my, you know, Death Watch army is about 90% vets and then I have 10 intercessors in the whole army. Mm. Um, basically, they're, they are the new guys. They're from chapters, but they're at this point, you know, I think the Primaris have been around technically for like a couple hundred years in the lore um, within the context of like the modern uh, current canon. Um, so I think that's long enough that like they're beginning to be old enough to join the ranks of the Death Watch as as veteran status. Um, yeah, and that's certainly what it, it, what's hinted at in the Codex in right. terms of the primaris joining these the, the kill teams and and the kill teams made up of intercessors and and obviously with you know interceptors and hellblasters thrown into the mix right there uh, i i don't know for me it just it doesn't feel right and and also when, uh, on the table it doesn't look right right it's yeah. the aesthetic of a, a primaris kill team is very much you know an aggressor an interceptor you know and you, you, they're still you know, quite a a, a bland unit, mm-hmm. whereas a, a group of veterans with customized loadouts, you right. know, they're all carrying stuff that you don't really see a standard tactical squad or you know a standard um, uh, devastator squad carry. They, they've right. got fairly unique loadouts, which stands them apart. Yep. Uh, I, I always worry that you know by going down a whole Primaris route with the Death Watch, you take away that, um, something that's special. I agree. Unique. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And people who run like purely Primaris Death Watch armies, like I, I'm not sure if I've ever seen that, but I I'm sure it exists. There are people that just love the new models and they love the look of Death Watch, and that's fine. You know, everyone plays their own version of the game and i think that's totally fine but for me personally uh clearly as it is for you i think there's something incredibly diluting about the idea of running a primarily primaris marine death watch army um that feels like a a sort of betrayal of what they are and it feels like you are overlooking the reason that members of death watch teams are even chosen in the first place so it's just yeah it's a complex thing because like you know you look at a squad of of uh mixed intercessors and inceptors and aggressors and stuff and you think what about them makes them death watch um they don't have any equipment that has replaced their existing equipment uh it's just the same loadout as if they were in any other chapter of Space Marines. Um, yeah, they- I, th- I think that's what what um, th- that's the next step. You know, if um, if we are looking at a, you know uh, a future edition of the game where standard one wound Marines are phased out, yeah, then you need to have Primaris Death Watch that have that variety. Yeah, you, need, you know, you need to then give that ability to mix up the units. You know, let's have intercessors with storm bolters. Yep, <laughs> is basically what I'm saying. Um, you know, I think 
it, we need to have that flavor preserved into into the, the next phase of whatever 40k is or, or becomes yeah i totally agree i think that that's basically a requirement to allow the death watch to maintain their their flavor and it would be a very sad day if uh you know traditional marines are phased out uh even outside the death watch i'd be very sad about that not not only for myself but like for people who've been with this game for so long um because i feel like they would they would feel like something was was lost that was deeply important to them um so i hope that that doesn't happen but i i'm pretty trusting of games workshop at this point to make decisions that i'm okay with like 90 percent of the time uh so I don't know. Yeah, you're never going to please everyone. Um, right. That's that's the nature of, of well everything really. <laughs> but yeah, I think that everything that's happened since I've come back to the hobby, um, which is what two years ish, and mm -hmm. more or less since Eighth Edition or just after Eighth Edition came out, um, I've just been really impressed with the way there's been real progression. There's been engagement. There's been discussion. And, you know, when, when things have gone wrong and uh, there's been mistakes, whether it's, you know, broken rules or uh, a, a release being slightly botched, mm -hmm. they, they've nine times out of ten put their hands up and said, yeah, we didn't get that quite right. Um, so this is what we're going to do. Yeah. Um, you know, usually in a funny community post or YouTube video <laughs> or something. Um, yes. But, you know, that, 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 that really works. That, I, I think, yeah. Right. I think it totally works. And I think it speaks to how much they've matured as a company as well. And based on, you know, their numbers and stuff, I think they can see the results of being the company that, that, that they are compared to the one that they were. Um, cause I, I'm pretty sure they saw like enormous growth, uh, the year that eighth edition came out. Um, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Which is just so awesome to see for, as a, as a fan because you know your hobby isn't going away anytime soon and um all this inclusiveness i think has only led to a better experience for us so it's just it's been great overall um, and it's you know it feeds itself so uh we've got uh, we're putting money into the hobby more people are coming into it um that gives games workshop uh, capacity to expand new models yep more ranges yeah, better publications, better online presence, new yeah. paints. It's yeah, it's great. It's a really good time to be involved in the hobby. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I got to pick my next army. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I, I don't know if I ever will stop just collecting watch captains as if they're Pokemon. I really don't know. Haven't you got a whole army just of watch captains? At this uh, point, I think I've got a 2,000-point army of watch captains. <laughs> See, yeah. I, I only have four uh, and watch captain Artemis. Yeah. it's. Um, I don't think I'll ever use Artemis in a game. <laughs> yeah, 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 because he's not part of your story. I didn't. Yeah, I haven't given him any, you know, any story, any any flavor. I didn't create him. I yeah. mean, one of my watch captains is based on the Artemis model. Um, yes. Yeah, I have one of those too. Going before, um, you can put him next to Artemis, and you can't almost can't tell that that's the base model. Right. Um, yeah. It's one of the joys of the army, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I yeah, I did the same the same thing. My uh, 
I converted Watch Captain Artemis into a Black Templar's Watch Captain. Um, I switched his sword to a Xenophase blade that he's holding, like reverse grip style. Um, I gave him like a master crafted bolter instead of his weird uh, combi flamer thing. Um, and yeah, I just tried to make him, you know, my own model, basically. You've um, been far more inventive than me. I, I, I've just <laughs> made them all Smash Captain. <laughs> Well, I I think there's a good reason for that. You know, Smash Captains are a very compelling choice at the moment, for sure. And I think it was also quite fun just to bait everyone and, and as a narrative player and <laughs> do a really competitive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Look, I've got three Smash Watch Captains <laughs> and a, and a Leviathan. Ooh, uh, maybe I need another Leviathan. <laughs> yeah, maybe Forge World has even more enticing things than that at its disposal that you could get into. Um, well, I, I do have some resin on my desk at the moment. Uh, yeah. so there, there is a, a fire raptor joining the watch fortress. Yeah, there you go. It's, uh, it's, yeah, I, I, I'm planning to have uh, two Corvus Black Stars filled with veterans uh, escorted by a fire raptor. Awesome. That's uh, so awesome. I, I don't think it'll actually be that good, but it'll just look cool. It's super cool. <laughs> A re- rule of cool is a real thing and i think that it it actually does justify so much of the game because why else would we be doing this if we didn't think that these models were just incredibly cool um so you know it's it, i think that it's absolutely fine this justification at least as the basis of an idea like the kernel of an idea and then you can write a narrative around that um to me, that's where the game comes alive. You take the models that you love, and then you write a story around them. And then they become a narratively rich army based on your favorite models. And that's like the best of both worlds. It doesn't even have to be your favorite models. It can be the ones that consistently underperform. <laughs> that or that. And don't want to take. You can write that into a narrative so easily. Yeah, you absolutely can. I mean, like, you can do anything. Narrative can make everything work and everything better, for sure. It um, makes it fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, so is that your most current most current pro? I was just going to wrap up by asking, do you have a project for them you're currently work- working on that you'd like to talk about? Is that your current project, the Fire Raptor? Yeah, yeah well, the, the Fire Raptor, uh, before, we, uh, before we started chatting, I, I was dutifully scrubbing resin <laughs> to make sure it goes together yeah uh, so that that'll be the next big thing but i've also um got uh Lamartis, um that i'm going to convert into a, a chaplain with jump jump pack i mean he is a chaplain with jump pack but i'm gonna death watch him up and uh, give him some new pauldrons and a few other bits um to kind of make him look less like the traditional lamartes model right yeah um, but yeah the idea being that i can stick him with my uh crazy jump pack thunder hammer dudes <laughs> yeah uh, give them some additional re-rolls and and see see what happens yeah i mean that's that's <laughs> If you can put a chaplain next to those guys, you're basically doubling their damage output. So that's awesome. Well, um, I think, I'm thinking kind of watch captain with a jump pack, a thunder hammer, a storm shield, and a chaplain with a jump. Pack. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> great. 
it, it could go horribly wrong and half of my <laughs> army's points could be deleted very rapidly. <laughs> yes. Be a lot of fun for at least one turn. <laughs> yes. I think it'll be a lot of fun for at least one person for one turn, for sure. <laughs> um, but I, I can't wait to see how that performs. I really uh, am looking forward to hearing about the results of your battles this weekend. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it, it's always a good laugh. I mean, the event's called No Surrender uh, as a, a, a kind of um, homage to No Retreat. Right. Um, but rather than being held in a luxurious gaming venue in on Gibraltar, it's <laughs> in held Gibraltar, in a pub yeah. in Tamworth. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's a, gr- a group of fantastic guys. And, you know, we'll be getting together, having a few beers, um, throwing some dice and, and telling some stories. So regardless of what happens on the table, it'll be absolutely cracking weekend. That's yeah. super um, awesome. Yeah, really looking forward to seeing it. Because, yeah, I mean, I, I have played a few games with the, the Death Watch, but as as, uh, as I've said, as we've been chatting, it's it's kind of been what I've had ready. Yeah. Uh, and now everything is, you know, everything is ready. Um, yeah. So I've got options to play with, and I, I can see what works and what doesn't. So I'm looking forward to getting stuck in, really. Yeah, exactly. Um, How about yourself? Have you got anything to add? Um, I, I know that you've got a, a, a freshly painted watch captain. <laughs> yeah, so um, that guy is actually my first Primaris watch captain. Um, and I'm not sure what I'll be running him as because I definitely made a, a sort of hybrid illegal kit bash model. Um, but uh, he is uh, he's my first Primaris modeled watch captain, but I, I gave him an Inceptor jetpack, which watch captains cannot take, uh, Primaris watch captains. So uh, maybe I'll just run him as a normal watch captain with a jump pack. I'm not sure. Uh, but uh, his name is uh, Bruton Hermius, and he's a member of the uh, Scythes of the Emperor chapter. Um, it was actually Noel, uh, the awesome Noel of our... <laughs> discord group who got me um excited about the um the size of the emperor so i read up on them um i thought a primaris captain would be really fitting because their numbers were so heavily depleted by the tyranid invasion um and i gave him a necron overlord's uh war scythe to replace what would be his normal weapon uh so because the sides of the emperor do fight with uh like man reaper type sides and um i thought that would be very fluffy and thematic and it would allow him to use a weapon that looked sort of like a relic blade or a xenophase blade um as we know the death watch definitely dabble in xenotech yeah, uh, yeah. which is you know some might argue heretical but uh, i've given one of my watch captains a necron shield yeah <laughs> It's got to exactly. be done. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, I think it's super thematic. I love seeing Death Watch that have like repurposed uh, Xeno stuff. That's that's always so fun to me. Um, I have to admit, though, I have to interject and, and correct you on one thing that you just said. Oh, what's that? Uh, I've, uh, I've spent several hours in a car with Noel, and I confirm he's not that awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, I... He knows I, I'm joking. He knows I'm joking. <laughs> I haven't uh, I haven't seen him in person. I can't confirm his awesomeness at that proximity. Um, <laughs> but at least 
the closer he gets to you. <laughs> right, yeah. It's like an, a, an opposite of an aura ability. Um, yeah, so he uh, he inspired me to do that guy. He's a, he's a mixture of a bunch of things. Uh, I used a Primaris Chaplin model, which, again, an example of me just a model that I've always loved so much, but I didn't have any particular use for in my army. I thought... Oh, I'll finally just have a use for that guy. I'll m turn him into a watch captain. So I used the Primaris Chaplain body. I got two of the Primaris Chaplain's awesome giant absolver pistols, and uh, I glued them together into this like horrific Frankenstein uh, Primaris Stormbolter thing. See, that's what they need to do for Primaris. Just yeah. make that real thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because it looks cool. Uh, it looks cool, and if it had the same rules, it'd be lethal. <laughs> oh, it'd be insane. Uh, GW, if you're listening, um, I'm free to contact whatever you want. Um, so, yeah, I gave him the the Overlord Scythe. I gave him the Stormbolter thing, and then I gave him a Reaver's uh, Skull Mask, uh, just to give him like a really intimidating look in conjunction with the robes and that sort of metal hood thing of the inceptor jetpack um i think he came out pretty cool i think he's a pretty cool he looks awesome mate it's, it's so good um uh, I, I have to admit um when you did the you you shared a photo before you'd painted yes the model and i, I was kind of like oh, it looks pretty good but i couldn't really tell you know you know that when the model hasn't come together yet right yeah, yeah, yeah. and then when you posted the the paint job i was just like that is amazing <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm I'm so glad that it came off that way. I um you know, he he I think that the hobby is so often that where if you're building something that is a unique design or you're painting something, it doesn't look right until you're basically done. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's like those painters that like paint upside down and you don't know what you're looking at and then they flip it over and you're like, "Oh, they made a work of art." Um, it's just, it's, it's that kind of thing where you just don't, it, you don't necessarily, you can't see the whole image. You don't get the picture of it until it's, it's it basically finished. Um, but in the case of this guy, you know, I had a pretty consistent vision from the start of it. I was just really worried about like, is this going to come together? Can I make his two hands holding one weapon look good on that body? Um, you know, how's the reaver head going to look on him? Is the pose going to look dynamic enough? I think it all came together pretty well, though. Definitely, um, without a doubt. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah it, it, again, it's going back to what we've said all the way through this podcast is that the the, the opportunities to do really unique things Yeah. Um, uh, with Death Watch models is just it's so good. Um, yeah. It's, it, you, you can have so much fun with it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and tonight, after we uh, are done recording this, I'm going to be working on another another watch captain uh, who is a Space Wolf Terminator watch captain. I haven't, I don't have any watch captains in Terminator armor yet. I'm trying to just get a watch captain of like every type, essentially. Um, this guy's going to be a watch captain in Terminator armor, and uh, he's based on the Arjak Rockfist model, the hero of the Space Wolves. Um, love that model. Um, fine cast, of course, which is so frustrating to deal with, but worth it, I think, for the result. So, uh, 
I replaced his left pauldron with the Death Watch pauldron, and uh, I actually bought a. Uh, I don't know if you've seen them. They're from Forge World. They're a Space Wolf infantry unit called the Death Sworn. Yeah, they, yeah, they, that's so cool. Yeah, they have like a wolf skull helmet, basically. Um, so I'm replacing Arjak's bear head with the uh, with that wolf skull uh, helmet. Um, and that's basically the only other aspect of the conversion. So he's got a wolf skull helmet instead of the bear head and the Death Watch pauldron. And I feel like that's honestly enough for him. Uh, he looks pretty cool. But, uh, nice. Yeah, so that's my next project. I have like five unfinished watch captains. And actually, I, I want to give a <laughs> shout out. I want to give a shout out to uh, someone who is uh, currently working on the uh, Karkaradon's Astra watch captain I mentioned earlier, Oruhau. Um, he he's uh, he goes by I won't give his name if he doesn't want me to. I haven't spoken to him, but his uh, Instagram handle is uh, Normandy underscore painting at Normandy underscore painting. Um, he is an incredible painter who's painting basically at like heavy metal standards, and uh, I am more than honored to be his first commission work ever he's currently painting up that space sharks watch captain for me and he's doing an absolutely incredible job i'm in awe of his talent um if you guys don't follow him currently you absolutely should he's a legendary painter um but yeah i'm incredibly excited because i'm gonna have this at least one set piece model that's painted at a standard that i have just never even seen in person before Definitely. Um, and yeah, my my watch captain. Uh, sorry, my watch um, uh, master. Yes. Uh, was mission painted, and um, yeah, he just stands out fantastic. Yeah. Well, at the front of the force, it's it, it's so good to have those standout models that are just uh, you know a, a cut above. Yes, absolutely. Um, so that's super special to me. I'm also working on a bunch of uh, kit bash and converted um dreadnoughts that are all going to be from the minotaurs uh chapter um i basically delved into the forge world craziness and i took some things that are not even actually dreadnoughts and decided that they will be dreadnoughts of different types um <laughs> in my death watch army all beholden to the minotaurs chapter seconded to uh the eye of damocles and to keep it nice and fluffy i've decided that um watchmaster diomedes uh would never deploy on the same missions as these dreadnoughts because the ultramarines and the minotaurs have very bad blood between them due to yeah, yeah. the actions of the minotaurs um in a previous engagement i think it was the badab wars um so you know i i wanted to keep it nice and fluffy and even though there are minotaurs serving under an ultramarines cat uh Watchmaster, there's still a, a measure of distance kept between them and a measure of delegation on the hands of the Ultramarine uh, leading them so that he doesn't have to personally deal with them. Um, but uh, yeah, so there's that. Uh, oh, I just have so many. It's not even worth going over all of them. <laughs> I will say I'm really excited. I have bits on the way right now for a Raptors watch captain uh, that I'll, I'm working on. That is going to be, he's going to have like a super snipery pose, the camo cloak and, uh, you know, the beaky helmet, classic Raptors helmet. 
So, so how long before you do have every chapter represented <laughs> in the step what Jeremy? me? Oh, probably a couple months, you know, it won't be that much longer <laughs> at this point. Um, yeah, there's just so many, but the, that's the thing about the death watch, you know, despite the fact that I collect eight armies, I, I just keep getting pulled back to creating these characters with the death watch. Cause because of how much room there is for unique storytelling with each character um yeah yeah and you know you can add a, a unit of veterans um yeah. and it can be completely different to the preceding 10 units of veterans exactly it's, yes it, you know uh, i, I cut, collect uh gene stealer cults and that's like my only true horde army yeah um but you know painting that kind of fifth uh unit of 10 neophyte hybrids <laughs> it takes real willpower <laughs> yes because yeah, yeah. pretty much exactly the same as the ones that have gone before there's nothing really to set them apart significantly no nope. um whereas you know you can really put that individual stamp on these kill teams it exactly. gives you uh, you know it makes them a lot more fun to paint really yeah yeah absolutely well i know it's incredibly late for you over there andy um i'm I know, but I could keep going, you know. <laughs> I I could too. I could pretty much just talk about this forever. Um, but I will let you go, not only for your sake, but for the audience's sake. This is a, a nice chunky episode here. I've um, kind of forgotten that there was an audience. Uh, <laughs> yeah. They're asleep I mean, by now anyway, so it's all good. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's the fun of uh doing these podcasts, I think, is uh it's 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 for us and it's not for them. And uh, they should just go away because we're having a private conversation between two <laughs> friends. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Of course, uh, I'm incredibly grateful for the support that all of you have shown so far. Um, the channel has been on a nice steady rise uh, from when I started it. Uh, we're just on the cusp as I record this of uh, 800 followers on Instagram, which is amazing to me. Um, and it's, it was only at 700 like 10 days ago something so i feel like it's gaining momentum it's sort of snowballing here um which is very exciting because i have a lot of content beyond the scope of what you've seen yet for me to show you um as always thank you guys so much uh you can find us on all the social media facebook instagram uh twitter uh youtube of course where our bat reps are uh andy thank you so much for talking to me this evening this has been an absolute pleasure no no my pleasure uh thanks for letting me waffle on about uh the boys in black <laughs> of course yeah and um i really hope i can have you on again soon because uh this has been great super fun um as long as you'll join me again Oh, of course, of course. You know, we, we 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 can take a step back and waffle on about the Inquisition for a bit. Yeah, exactly. Um, you have a, a stunning, I think, Inquisition army composed of many disparate elements. So it would be really fun to maybe spend an episode exploring all the uh, facets of the army that you collect, the the Imperium army uh, at whole that you collect there. But um, yeah, happy to, happy to. Awesome. So, yeah, thank you again so much, everyone, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Goodbye.